0: We are continuing through our series on encounters with Jesus and we are walking through some different uh, stories of uh, basically the first encounters that people had with Jesus in his ministry. Um, we are in John chapter 4, so if you have your copy of God's Word, um, there's also pew Bibles in the seats in front of you. Pew Bibles, we don't even have pews, so what would they be called? Chair Bibles? <laughs> Chair Bibles. What would you say, Gail? Just Bibles. Okay, okay. Bibles is, is a good, good description. John chapter 4, um, we're going to read verses 1 through 30. Uh, so if you have that, would you just uh, do me a favor and stand as we read through this. John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Phariseed, Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to meet him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that in it we find the words of life and encouragement and hope and despair. We thank you that in your word we find power, because your word is who you are. And so, Father, as we come before you, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would proclaim your truth, Father, Uh, proclaim it to us, because we need it so much. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Here we have a story, a true story, a story that I think um, if you don't look at the cultural understanding and the significance of what is going on in this story, uh, you will lose so much. There is some deep, rich truths in this, and we don't have near the time to go through all of it. So we're going to skim through some of it. I want to walk through the story. I want to share a couple of things. I want to point out a couple of things, and then I want to get to an application that uh, uh, is hopefully encouraging to you. So in here, we have this story of uh, Jesus, and, and we're not really going to spend any time on verses 1 through uh, two, you can read that, but basically, what's going on is Jesus was uh, feeling some some pressure. He didn't want to get into with uh, John's disciples or the Pharisees because the time had not yet come. So he departed from the area of Galilee. Um, where uh, I'm sorry, not the area of Galilee, but uh, he was going to Galilee. He left an area most likely called Anon, which you can find that in in the previous section in John chapter three, verse twenty-three talks about where they were baptizing, probably a place called uh, near Selim, uh, Anon. And and I wish I had a map. I should have got one and put it up for you because I want you to see what's going on here. It says that Jesus left this region to depart for Galilee. So if you could visualize with me a map, uh, somewhere right in the middle of Israel about is Jerusalem. And north of that is a, a place called Salim Anon, which is uh, about 20 miles south of Galilee. Okay, so if Jesus is returning to Galilee, he's going to travel about 20 miles north. Okay, it's near the Jordan River. But what Jesus does is he goes south about 20 miles to a town called Sychar. Okay, so you're getting, you're following here. I don't know, either Jesus had bad directions. Or something, right? Because he needed to go 20 miles north, he goes 20 miles south. He goes out of his way. There's a detour. And the question when you think through that, and if you look at the map and you see the direction he goes and where he's going, the question is why? Why the detour? And the text tells us why. And this is a very significant point says in verse 3, he left Judah and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. In some translations it says he needed to go through Samaria. Why? We're going to get to that. You see, a good Jew, um, when going through uh, the area of Samaria, what they would have done was they would have, if they had to go south of Samaria, they would have literally crossed over the Jordan River and went out of their way to avoid Samaria because there had been a 500 year long um, dispute and, 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 and uh, just a uh, prejudice against the Samaritans. They would have viewed the Samaritans as defilement. If you would have, uh, in fact, I was reading an article or a, a, a commentary about a, uh, a man who um, was a Jew who, uh, when the Samaritan would come to their house, they would have to, because of culture, they would have to offer hospitality. And so the Samaritan would come and would ask for um, food because they couldn't ask for a drink because they would have had a drink from a cup that would have touched a Jewish person's lips and that would have been defilement. And so the only food that they could offer them was some sort of vegetable or uh, fruit that the peel could be thrown away and they could eat what was inside because it had never touched the opposite, a Jew or a Samaritan. That's how much despisement was going on. They would travel out of their way, cross over the Jordan River to bypass Samaria to come in. Well, here we have Jesus, who goes out of His way to go into Samaria because He needed to. That is a very significant thing. Jesus went out of His way in order to go to Samaria. A 20-mile journey He made 40 miles through a despised place. I want that to sink in, okay? That is so Important, and I want you to take note of a couple of key words, some key phrases here. Notice it says, and again in this translation, the ESV, it says he um, uh, he had to pass. In some translations, it says he needed to pass, and then some other things that just really interesting that I want you to note. It says that he wearied from this journey. John is very uh, important in that he presents Jesus as very much a human that he wearied, that he had compassion, and he wept when he saw the sorrow and the sadness of Martha and Mary and the loss of their brother. Um, Various things that you see the humanity of Jesus. So Jesus um, didn't just make this journey in some sort of special strength, okay? It cost him. He wearied. He got to the place and he sat at the well because he was tired and thirsty. And in some translations, I love how it says, he wearied from his journey. He took ownership of this journey because it was important to him. And this all sets the stage for an encounter. And we're going to walk through this encounter and I want to share uh, the shock of it and then I want to share six surprising things that Jesus shares, theological truths that are so vitally important that are introduced to us. Number one, the shock of him uh, as Jesus gets there, it says that he sat at the well. He, he literally, so they would have like a capstone with a small hole in it where you could drop a bucket, but a capstone would cover the well, and he sat at the well, and the disciples went off to town to get food, which has always baffled me. Why are they buying food when Jesus is able to produce food? But that's a whole other lesson. So they leave, and, and, and this woman comes to the well couple of things I want you to note. It says that it was about the sixth hour, which is high noon. So it's noontime. The woman comes to the well. The the disciples are gone. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says to her, give me a drink. This is scandalous. Okay, I, I cannot emphasize this enough the significance of what is going on. This woman had every strike against her. Okay? She was a woman, first of all. And if you haven't ever looked into culture in this day and age, a rabbi, it said, would not even speak to his wife in public because you couldn't do that. A rabbi couldn't speak to his own wife in public because a man did not speak to a woman in public, let alone in private where somebody could walk up and see that Jesus was talking to a woman alone. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was speaking to a woman who wasn't even his wife in a private place. And this was a major deal. And not only was it a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman. Add on top of it. So Jesus ignores 500 years of a dispute of hostility between these two. He breaks social taboos in talking to her. Rabbis, like I said, wouldn't even talk to their wives in public. And and here she was a, a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was an outcast in her own circle. Why do I say that? I don't know about you, but I've been been building a fence in my pasture. I've been working on it. I've got about 330 feet of about 800 feet done. And it's a lot of fun labor in the sun. I think when I see that Jesus was weary and asked for a drink, I can connect with that. I think I've sweat about 20 pounds uh, of water weight just working in the sun. It's, It's super fun in the hot day. For some reason, I decide to do it during the day. When it's like a thousand degrees out. Here we have this woman coming to a well in the hottest part of the day. You ever wonder why? You ever wonder why this woman wouldn't have come when every other woman would have come, which would have been at the earliest time in the morning or in the evening when the sun has gone down and it's a lot cooler because it's hard labor to carry a water jar from your city to a, a, a well in the hot sun? You ever wonder why? I'll tell you why. She was an outcast. She wanted to avoid people. She went when it was hot because she knew nobody else would go. Why? Because she had had five husbands. And before you sit here and you say, uh, what a horrible woman, she had had five husbands, man, she must have, we don't know that, by the way. There could be one of two possibilities. She could have went and been scandalous and, and gotten rid of every single one of her five husbands, or maybe she was just rejected by every single one and abandoned each time. We don't know. We're not told. But either way, she was a social outcast. She came in the middle of the day to avoid people. And when she got there, there's Jesus, and Jesus talks to her. Jesus talks to her. And there is some theology of missions that we can get into, and we're not going to spend much time, but I just want to point it out. Do you realize that instead of Jesus telling her, What he had to offer, he asked her for a drink. You know, as missionaries from a uh, developed country, we oftentimes go into other countries and we tell people how to do Christianity. Because we are developed and we have everything and we can offer it. And I find that the exact opposite is true of how Jesus did missions. He would go places and he would ask. You know why? Because asking puts you in a place of humility where you are the receiver, the recipient, and not from a stronger place of giving. Uh, Countless examples in Scripture, and and Jesus and Mark sends out his disciples. He says, when you go out, in Mark chapter 6, he says, take nothing with you. But go, be dependent on whoever you go to see. Live in their house. In, in Mark chapter 6, verse 8, he says, uh, take no food with you, take no money, take nothing, no staff, or I mean everything except a staff, don't take an extra clothes, just be dependent on wherever you go. And it isn't the ultimate example of Jesus doing this his birth? That he came as an infant, totally dependent on those to whom he went. I think there is something to be said here that as we look at it, that that from a place of, of pride, we can oftentimes go somewhere and tell them this is how it's done instead of listening and coming in in humility. And in the reality, what Jesus does here is fascinating. You have this social outcast, you have this Samaritan woman, and what does Jesus do by asking for a drink? He elevates her. Because he puts her in the position of strength. Because literally the Greek means help me, I'm thirsty and I need help. He didn't have his own vessel to drink from, it says. she, she as, as they begin to discuss, she says, where are you going to draw water? You don't have anything. And, and, and what a place that Jesus would have come from. But I want to walk through the rest of this with six incredible things that Jesus shares. And and I want you to remember this woman because when we talk about theology as as a people of strength oftentimes, we think, well, God would give this revelation because this is the first time God shares these things. He gives these revelations of important theology to an outcast woman. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind. So the first thing that Jesus does, it says that he asked for a drink of water, and she um, uh, says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a, a woman of Samaria? And the emphasis here in the original language is that she's a woman, and she is of Samaria. And it says, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water the first thing jesus shares with her is that the gift of god is not a book it's a person the first thing that jesus does is he begins to reveal these unbelievable truths to the world for the first time sharing them with the samaritan woman he says if you knew me you would ask me for living water and what Jesus is saying, and he's using uh, Hebrew phraseology and, and 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 culture and so forth that you would have referenced. You know, he's he's referencing things from like Jeremiah, where Jeremiah talks about living water filled from uh, non from from broken cisterns and and from uh, 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 this living water that wells up, and in 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 uh, Jeremiah twelve. Um, Jeremiah talks about how with joy we shall draw living water out of the wells of salvation. And so there's this ideology that's going on and and Jesus is essentially introducing her to this point of view because for her, and as she would say later, that she was confused about where we were to worship. For a Samaritan, the Torah was everything. For a Jew, the Torah was was everything it was viewed as the gift of God but Jesus is coming and he's saying no no no. the gift of God is not a book it's a person we can know the word inside and out and not know Jesus brothers and sisters the gift of God is not just a book this book reveals to us the greatest gift the gift is Jesus Christ And he came and he says, I will, if you knew me, you would ask me for a drink because I offer living water. I am not downplaying the word of God. It is so essential, but it is not the gift that we have. The gift is Jesus Christ. And notice what she says How can you draw water? Because she's thinking of this water in the well. And, and she says, you don't have any way of drawing it out. You have nothing. And, and Jesus then shares a second truth. He shares not that just that the gift of God is, is, is a person but not a book. He also shares that what he offers conquers time. What were her problems? Her problems were that she was an outcast. Her problems were that in the heat of the day, she would have to go out and draw water from this well, take it, fill it uh, in her in her jar, and take it back to town and do all this hard work. And then she would uh, probably face a, a man in her house that was there for whatever reason, probably because she knew that she couldn't live on her own, so she had to have somebody. So she probably found like the town drunk or somebody just to provide for her, or who knows what that situation was like. And so she's thinking of all these problems And isn't this familiar for all of us that when we look at life, we sit here and focus on all of our worldly problems and our current temporary things and we think, what am I going to do to solve this? And how do I solve this? And Jesus says, come to me because I offer living water, eternal water, and you will never thirst again. And she hears this and she thinks, man, I want that. Because I don't want to have to come back out here and draw water every day. I don't want to have to do this labor. I don't want to have to face my problems every day. And so she's piqued, and she's wanting it, and she's saying, this is what I want. She wanted a religion that would take care of her temporary problems. And so oftentimes people come to Jesus thinking he's going to take care of their temporary problems. I can't tell you how many times I've heard where somebody says, you know, I'm going to come to Jesus because I have problems in my life. Jesus can take care of those problems, but he's not the reason we come to him because those are temporal problems. So Jesus says, if you would ask me, I would give you living water. And we're not going to spend any time in this, and I'd encourage you, like I said, there's so much here that you can do to, to, to look into this passage, but she is constantly trying to change the subject. Constantly trying to change the subject. So she says, uh, so uh, Jacob gave us this well, gave us this well, and Jesus completely ignores it. So she says uh, that Jacob gave us this well. How are you going to? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. This is the eternal conquering life water he says, then the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The third thing that she receives is a truth that she can be a spring for others. How can this be? A woman, a Samaritan that, that is an outcast, how could she possibly ever have any influence, right? Jesus, again, elevating her, says, no, if you drink of this, you will be a spring for others. We're walking through and, and you see that Jesus is sharing these various truths and, 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 and he then shares another one. He says, uh, go and bring your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus uh, said to her, you are right in saying you, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and one you now have is not your own husband. What you have said is true. The fifth thing Jesus shares is that he knows her heart. He exposes her sin, right? He exposes that that he knows, but he doesn't leave her condemned. And there's an interesting point that goes on right here. And I'm going through these quickly, I know, but there's an application we want to get to. He exposes her and how oftentimes we do the exact same thing that she does. Once her sin is exposed, once it's brought to light, what does she do? She changes the subject and begins talking theology. Well, well. the Jews say that you worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans say we worship here at Mount Gerizim. I don't know what's true. You ever had a a discussion with somebody and you bring up something important and they don't want to talk about it, so what do they do? They try and bring up the most controversial subject that they can to try and change the subject to get your mind off of it. Jesus exposes her sin and says, you know what, you're right. I know you. I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your life. I can still offer you living water. And right away, what does she do? Hey, what about this whole Samaritan-Jewish controversy? And Jesus takes this opportunity And he moves from the problem at hand to one of the greatest truths that we can now know, which is the sixth thing he shares with her. The fifth thing, I'm sorry. He shares that nationalization or traditionalism is not a requirement for a relationship with God. You could throw in religion. Jesus says Jerusalem, Mount Gerizim, they're obsolete, they're part of an old covenant. And so the woman sighs and she says, Okay, I I, can see this, you know, that that Jesus says, You know, we worship not in this place, but an hour and a day is coming, which, by the way, this is a sermon all in and of itself that we could spend hours talking about, that the worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, What a joyous time of celebration for us as believers, that we don't have to go to a place to meet with God. In Jewish culture, and Jewish religion, they would have to go to Jerusalem and they could only do it once a year where the high priest would go on their behalf into the Holy of Holies and speak to God on their behalf and and. We can now read in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says that by a new and living way, the curtain has been torn, and so we don't have to go once a year by a person into a temple, into the Holy of Holies, but now we can go to God, we can draw near to Him, and so too, the same is true. Jesus is saying an hour is coming where you will not have to go to a place, but you can worship God wherever you are. What an incredible truth. And the woman's reply is, man, that sounds great, and I I don't understand all this, but I know that there is a Messiah coming, and He will tell us everything. And this leads to the last and the most important thing that Jesus shares. It's the first time He uses the phrase, I am, in the book of John. We don't count this oftentimes because we don't see it because it doesn't specifically say I am in the English, but the reality is in the Greek he says I am. That Messiah, I am. And when you go back and understand the significance and the power of that phrase, that name of God that comes from the Old Testament where uh, uh, Moses was saying in a conversation with God at the burning bush, he says, who shall I tell them has sent me? And God says, tell them. I am. And so, what Jesus does is he proclaims that he is the Messiah. The significance of all this.